Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts, of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. These are the words of the Lord, and we ask his blessing upon the reading of his word. When God saves a person, he takes that person who is spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, who lives in spiritual darkness, who is spiritually depraved, worldly, and godless. And he makes that 
person spiritually alive. He draws that person into spiritual light. He declares him to be holy and righteous based upon the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed to him. Once he was destined for eternal death in hell, but now he is destined for eternal life in the kingdom of God. That's what salvation is all about. Where we have been, what he has brought us out of, what he has done in us and for us, and where he is taking us. This is a once-for-all work of God in the life of a Christian. A once-and-for-all work of God in the life of a Christian. It cannot be undone, and it cannot be repeated. It is a work of God and not of man. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Once a child is born, it can and it will inevitably die. But it can never be unborn. Once a person is born again by the power of God, he can never become unborn. He may sin, He may fail the Lord from time to time, but he can never be unborn. He can never not be a citizen of the kingdom of God from the point of his salvation. His place in the kingdom of God is secure. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. In salvation... A Christian is declared by God to be holy, set apart from sin and the kingdom of the world, and set apart to God and the kingdom of God. At that moment of salvation, God declares that individual to be clean, to be pure, to be righteous, and to be justified. This is called, in theology proper, it's called positional holiness. It is a Christian's position before God. And it happens immediately upon salvation. Yet in Scripture, the Christian is told to pursue holiness. To cleanse and to purify himself. And to live a righteous life. This is called, in theology proper, progressive holiness. It is 
the work of the Holy Spirit in partnership with the Christian to work in him and to work through him that salvation which God has gifted to him. It is, again, that partnership where the Holy Spirit and the Christian work together to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is the goal of our salvation. You are saved, I am saved, not just to go to heaven. There's a whole lot of living that needs to take place between the point of salvation and the moment we cross past the gates of pearl. Heaven is not the goal of salvation. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is the goal of salvation. God has left us here for a reason. And that reason is to glorify Him in the way that we live. And the way that we glorify Him in the way that we live is we strive to be daily more and more like Jesus. In other words, a Christian is not saved to sit in a church sanctified and satisfied until he dies or until Jesus comes again. He is saved for a purpose. In Romans chapter 8 verses 29 and 30, the Apostle Paul speaks of the Lord God and saying this, For whom he, that is, for whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is a gradual and a progressive change in a person's life, both internally and externally. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, We are confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you. What is that good work that God has begun in us through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, salvation. Sanctification. Holiness. Righteousness. These are the things that have begun in a person's life when he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And God, through His Holy Spirit, will continue to work in that Christian to perfect these things in that Christian's life until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It means these things will not be perfected in us until Jesus comes again. So we're going to continue to live our lives day in and day out, working with the Holy Spirit, to become more conformed to Jesus Christ, to walk as Jesus walked, to talk as Jesus talked, to think as Jesus thought, 
to love as Jesus loved, to minister as Jesus ministered. And we'll continue to do that, progressing in that holiness, progressing in that sanctification, progressing in that righteousness until Jesus comes again. But why is that? Why is it a gradual and a progressive process in your life and in my life? If the Apostle Paul is correct in saying in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 that we are immediately justified before God. God looks upon us as being without sin. God looks upon us as being holy. God looks upon us as being righteous. These are the declarations of God. You're a Christian. God says you are holy. God says you are righteous. God says you are justified. Then why aren't we as we live our daily lives? Why is it on this side of glory it is a process? Whereas on that side of glory, it is a done deal. I'll tell you why. It is because that we continue to live in this flesh. We continue to live in this flesh. R.C. Sproul wrote these words, quote, The saints of Scripture were called saints, not because they were already pure, but because they were people who were set apart and called to purity. Called to purity. A Christian is saved and set apart by God from what he used to be, from what the Christian used to be, a habitual sinner, worldly, ungodly, and he's set apart to holiness, obedience, and service. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you are saved, if you are saved... When you were saved, immediately the old sin nature was replaced by a new holy nature. But you still live in this flesh. You still live here in the earth. The mind, the body, the affections, the will have been weakened by the old sin nature and by the old sinful ways of life. The Christian is saved, yes, but he still sins from time to time. He's bound for heaven, but for the time being, he's still bound to this sinful earth. He longs to see Jesus face to face, but he still sees himself in the spiritual mirror dimly. You will agree with me that 
Daily we are bombarded and tempted with the effects and the results of evil, of wickedness, of sin. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's on the internet. In magazines. On billboards. At the movies. In our neighborhoods. In our politics. In our schools. In our social gatherings. In our businesses. And even in our churches. Sin and the effects of sin are everywhere. But the question is, how does a Christian, how does a Christian keep from getting sucked back in to the world, to the flesh, to the devil? I, I remember when I was saved, I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to do what Jesus wanted me to do. I wanted to go where Jesus wanted me to go. I wanted to tell people about Jesus. It was fresh, it was new, it was exciting, it was wonderful. But not a day went by that I started feeling once again the effects of the old sinful life and the sinful world that I lived in. And you did too. And you still do. So how do we keep ourselves from the practice of sin? How do we deal with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? How can we be holy in life as God commands us to be holy as He is holy? It's the longest chapter in the largest book of the Bible. Psalm 119. Turn there with me if you will. Psalm 119. This psalm speaks to the significance, the importance, and the very necessity of the Word of God in a Christian's life. It's a unique psalm, Psalm 119. It's an acrostic song. The psalms are the songs of the Hebrew people. Like we have songs that we sing. We see the lyrics up on the screens or in our hymnals. Well, these are the songs of the Hebrew people of the Old Testament. These are the lyrics. We don't have the bass cleft and the treble cleft. We don't have uh, all of the harmony and uh, all of those other kinds of things. We just have the words. But these are the songs of the Hebrew people. It's an acrostic psalm that taught two things that are essential in Hebrew education. Now I know we're not Jews, but even we can be educated by the Hebrew people. Eh? Taught two important things to the Hebrew people. First, it taught the Hebrew alphabet. It taught the Hebrew alphabet, which was necessary for reading, for writing, and for communication. I remember as a child learning the English alphabet. Do you remember back when you were in school learning the English alphabet? Maybe you learned the English alphabet before you ever went to school. 
But I remember learning the English alphabet. And there were a number of ways which the alphabet was taught to me. One way was by association. And I know you're familiar with it, right? A is for apple. B is for boy. C is for D is for not according to my father. D, D is for not paying attention in class and doing your homework. But that's how we learned the alphabet, by association. But the most effective tool for learning the alphabet was in a song. You remember the song? Are you sure? You want to sing it with me? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs. Next time won't you sing with me? And that's how we learned our ABCs. Psalm 119 is an acrostic song that taught the Hebrew children their ABCs, their alphabet. I want you to look at the psalm. It has 176 verses. It's divided into 22 stanzas with 8 verses in each stanza. Each verse in each stanza begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So let's look at the first stanza, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Somewhere around the first verse, either in the first verse or above the first verse or in the margin beside the first verse, you may see the word Aleph, A-L-E-P-H. You see that? That is the Hebrew letter A, Aleph. And it's designated Aleph because in Hebrew, each verse in that stanza begins with the Hebrew letter A. And so as these children sang the first eight verses, each verse began with an A. In verses 9 through 16, you may see the word Bet. Or Beth, B-E-T-H. That word is there because in Hebrew, each verse in that stanza begins with the Hebrew letter B. And so on and so on and so on until <clears throat> you get to the end of the psalm. This was a mnemonic device. It was a mnemonic device that helped a person remember the Hebrew alphabet and the corresponding verse in each stanza of the song. Now you may say, what's that got to do with being holy? Nothing. The point is, in this song, the writer of the psalm teaches us about the Word of God and the importance and the significance of the Word of God, which helps us to become holy in life. Because the second and more important aspect of this psalm 
It taught the value of the Word of God in a person's life. George Zimmick said this, quote, The man of God who wrote this psalm never besought God merely to teach him his word, but to form within him the way of God's word. How God's word gets into the mind and from the mind into the heart and from the heart into the spirit and from the spirit into the life of an individual. So God's word permeates the entire life of the individual. How important is it then that we know God's word? The focus of Psalm 119 is to know and to understand and to apply the truth of God's Word. Being saved is important. Being saved is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. It is very important. But there's more to the Christian life than being saved. We are commanded by God Himself to live a holy life. Be holy, for I am holy, God said three times in the book of Leviticus. And the apostle Peter quotes this same word of God in his letter in 1 Peter. We are commanded to live a holy life, a sanctified, a justified, a purified life. We are to be holy because God who saved us is holy we are to be holy because Jesus, whom our lives are to be conformed to, is holy. And we're his people. Now, holiness has nothing to do with religious fervor. It has nothing to do with religious intensity or religious passion. It has everything to do with being set apart by God from the sinful kingdom of this world and set apart unto God and to His kingdom that we might live a holy life. It is to live as Jesus lived. Not with regard to how He wore His hair or if he had a beard or no beard, or what, he, what clothes he wore, the sandals, or anything of that nature. No, it is with regard to the character and to the nature of Jesus Christ himself. People are focused on themselves then, and they're focused on themselves now. And they're focused on the things of the world then, and the things of the world now. But Jesus focused on God the Father and his kingdom. People then were living in sin. People today are living in sin. But Jesus lived a sinless life. People then hated each other and hurt each other. People today hate each other and hurt each other. But Jesus loved people, even Judas Iscariot. He loved people. He helped people. He healed people. And we're to be like Jesus. When we commit ourselves to be holy as God is holy, we will begin to see and others will begin to see the change that takes place in us. The difference 
in us. We will begin to see and they will begin to see that we don't walk down the same old pathways anymore. We won't hold the old conversations that we used to hold. We won't do the shameful things that we once did. Why? Because we're saved and we're striving to live a holy life. So now in Christ Jesus, we have a new life, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have a new life, a righteous life, a holy life, a life that pleases God, a life that is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what a true Christian hungers for. That's what a true Christian thirsts for. That's the change of the want to that takes place in a person's life, in the mind, in the heart, in the soul, and in the spirit. Well, now you may say, that's what I want. That's what I long for. But I just can't seem to make it a reality in my life. I know I'm saved. But whenever I think I've got a handle on it, I fail. How do I become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ when I live in a world that is so anti-Christ? Well, the psalmist has an answer for us in verse 9. How can a young man... Cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word. He goes on to say, with my whole heart, I have sought, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches I will meditate upon your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. There are five admonitions. Five admonitions given in, given in these eight verses that teach us the way of holiness in a believer's life. The first admonition is, you must desire it. You must desire it. You must want it. You must hunger and thirst for it. You must crave it. Above anything and everything else, you must long to live a holy life. I'm not talking about being pious. I'm not talking about re being religious. I'm talking about being holy and righteous before others as God sees you holy and righteous from heaven. As a Christian, no matter what your physical or spiritual maturity may be, you must desire to live a holy life. 
Listen to the psalmist again, and I'll give it to you in the literal Hebrew. The psalmist says, How can a young man keep the pattern of his life clean and pure? With my mind, heart, and will, I have pursued you with the utmost care. Oh, let me not turn away in sin from what you have commanded me. Your words I have treasured in my mind, my heart, and my will, so that I absolutely will not sin against you. Train me to do all that you have written down. Do you hear the passion in his words? Do you hear the longing and the desire of the psalmist to live a holy and a righteous life? Like a starving man hungers for food and a thirsty man for water, the child of God desires, hungers, and thirsts to be holy and righteous like Jesus. And so again, how does he accomplished this. How does this become a reality in his life? Well, again, look at verse 9, and I'll give it to you literally. He says, by taking heed according to your word. But in the Hebrew, he says, by guarding my life according to what God has revealed, what God has said in his word. By guarding my life. You know what it means to guard something? You protect it from anyone or anything that might come in and steal it or, or damage it. You protect it from the outside forces that would ruin it. In other words, I need to guard my life according to what God has said in Scripture. Micah, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8 this is what the prophet Micah said. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Not before your God, but to walk humbly with, face to face with your God. You see, God is not impressed nor interested in what we bring to him with our hands. God is honored and glorified and pleased with what we bring to Him with our heart and with our life. Holiness of character, righteousness of conduct. Now we won't have time to get into the other four admonitions in case you were worried about that. Yeah, we'll just button this first admonition up. But let me ask you this question. The psalmist asked the question that all of us should be asking ourselves. 
How can I keep the pattern of my life clean and pure, uncorrupted, holy, and righteous in a world that's taking the Amtrak Express to hell? How do I keep the pattern of my life clean and pure, uncorrupted and holy and righteous in the world that's just falling apart before our very eyes? You say, I'm saved and I know I am, but how can I live my life conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Let me give you three things. First of all, study and apply. Study and apply in your life all that God has written in His Word. Be a student of the Word of God. Be a student of the Word of God. It was said of Martin Luther before he became a Christian as he was a monk in the Catholic Church that he prayed most of the day as a monk in the monastery. But when he became a Christian, when the light of the holiness and the righteousness of God dawned upon his consciousness, he left the monastery and he spent time going over the scriptures with new eyes with a new mind with a new heart and the pattern of his life was that he would pray at least five hours in the morning before he would ever go about his daily business and someone asked him why do you pray so long in the morning before you go to work. And he said, because of the world that I live in necessitates it. Beloved, I believe that wor the world that you and I live in necessitates that we steep our lives in the Word of God. How could we possibly survive? In a world that we're living in where everything is upside down, inside out, back to front. If we do not know what truth really is, and that truth is contained in the Word of God. We must be students of the Word of God. Second, trust the Lord to give you the desire to live a holy life. Trust the Lord to give you the desire to live a holy life. Let me ask you, do you desire to live a life conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Do you desire to live a holy and a righteous life? Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, happy are those who crave for, who starve to do what is right in God's eyes, for they will be satisfied to overflowing. You may very well ask, well, what if I don't desire those things anymore? What if I've gone back into the world and I've lived the life of a prodigal son or daughter so that the desire that I once had for the things of God has left me? What do I do now? You plead with the Lord to stir up that desire in you once again. 
James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If God will give you wisdom to overcome trials and temptations because you ask him, will he not also give you the desire to live a holy and pleasing life if you ask him? Absolutely. But I have asked, you say. Have you asked in faith? Believing that God will answer you? But let him ask in faith, James says, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.